0: where we explore the world's most pressing issues and celebrate innovative thinkers who are shaking up the status quo. I'm your host Andre Darmanin, and each week I engage with influential minds that are working towards building a more inclusive equitable and diverse future. In today's episode we will open up a candidate dialogue on the timely subject of Muslim inclusion especially in the light of the recent tragic conflict in the Gaza Strip within the Middle East. The ripple effects of this unrest and cultural divide has been felt throughout the world. Making it all the more important for us to help build understanding, foster empathy, and strengthen the bonds of our shared community, or shared humanity, I should say. Joining me to tackle this significant topic is Hamna Sayed, an accomplished educational e- equity edu- e- educational equity leader. Say that ten times. With a wealth of firsthand experience in bridging cultural divides and confronting societal biases, Hamna's inspired inspiring lived experience spans continents and honors the rich diversity of the Muslim community. Under Hamna's guidance, we will acknowledge the uh, unique challenges facing Muslim people today both in the Middle East and in Canada, explore the steps that companies, organizations, and individuals can take to create inclusive environments, and highlight the wealth of untapped potential that an inclusive mindset can unlock. We'll, engage, we'll gain insights into Hamza's own experiences as a well-traveled advocate for equality and hear our perspectives on the importance of empathy and understanding in the face of global unrest. By wrapping these in essential conversations, our goal is to spark a, spark a shift in perspective, prompt constructive discussions and inspire tangible action towards nurturing a more inclusive future for everyone. So strap in and get ready to embark on a enlightening journey as we discuss Muslim inclusion in our dynamic world. So Hamna, Hi, Hamna, great to have, great you, to here have today. you here today.
1: So good to be here, Andre. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. I'm really looking forward to chatting.
0: All right. Thanks great, a lot, Hamna. Um, um, so so uh, let's actually let's start, start, off, start by, off by, you know, telling everyone, telling about, everyone yourself about yourself and your, and your uh, you know, your journey, your journey,
1: if, journey you if you will. Sure. Yeah. Um, my journey to Canada, right?
0: Journey to Canada, journey, uh, journey in your career, career, all of that. All of that.
1: Sure. Okay, we'll get we'll cover all of it at once. So my name is Hamna. Um, I'm a policy advisor. I ended up here kind of by happenstance. I my professional background prior to this is actually working in post secondary institutions and in student affairs, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I've always enjoyed working with people, and especially when you're working with students, it's really great to be able to coach them and to be able to you know make them professionals that are going to go out there and do good. So that's the background that I come from and I was doing my master's degree in educational leadership as well but landed on the policy side of things because I thought that it it was a lot more interesting to me and I'm glad I'm here yeah. on a personal no. note oh Sorry. go ahead
0: no no go ahead yeah I, was, yeah I was I was I was saying about your personal note yeah
1: uh, yeah on a personal note I guess a little bit more about me I love cats I have two two cats and they are my world um Additional information, I am a Pakistani Canadian Muslim immigrant to Canada, and I like to start with that because I think identity is so important, right? Um, it's important to what I do, and what I believe in is very heavily informed by that and my lived experiences. So I like to situate myself so that people know the kind of lived experiences I'm speaking from.
0: Mm-hmm. And so how do those shape your values, you know, living in one part of the world and, and coming here? So how did that kind of play out?
1: Um, yeah, so I was born and raised initially raised in Karachi, Pakistan. And then following that, my family moved to the Middle East, we lived in the United Arab Emirates or Dubai for people who don't know geography. Um, We were there for almost 10 years. And then we moved, we eventually settled here in Canada. Um, A lot of my father's family had already been here for quite some time. And with him placing a big emphasis on education and family values, I think he moved us out here to be able to take advantage of that, to be surrounded by our family and to have a chance at being highly educated. And I think that paid off. Um, Moving to the second part of your question around how my lived experience shaped my values. um, I would say my core values are kindness, integrity, and that's a big one perseverance, and open-mindedness. And I think all of these things are very deeply rooted in my lived experiences. Um, I used to say that I'm a third culture kid. I feel like I can't call myself a kid anymore. But you know, it's the idea that you're born somewhere, you're raised somewhere else, and you end up in another place altogether. Um, And I remember seeing it as a bit of a disadvantage when I was younger, because you're conflicted with that idea of like, Where's home, right? Everywhere's home, but nowhere's home. But in a lot of ways, I think when you grow up seeing how different the world is, it's very eye opening. Because I was exposed to different cultures, different ways of living from the time that I was a young child. Um, and aside from just the cultural diversity piece as well, right? When you live in different places that see you differently, you develop a deep understanding of how you're impacted by your own identity and things that might, that you might not face but things that shape how other people see you so your gender your class your religion your abilities all of that um when you move between places that treat you differently based on these aspects of your identity i think you you come to face you come you face yourself right you come face to face with yourself that's what i was trying to say um you have to think about who you are and what you stand for so For example, when I moved here, being Muslim wasn't really something I thought too deeply about. Like, I was Muslim, I believed in the faith, I still do, Um, but it was just part of who I was, right? It never impacted how I interacted with the world around me. But when I came here, it was like, oh, I'm Muslim, and visibly so. I wore a hijab for the first eight and a half years of living here, so all of a sudden that became like the predominant aspect of my identity that I'd never really dealt with before, right? So now I'm here dealing with microaggressions, systemic racism, Islamophobia, and these things became very real aspects of my life. I was a teenager thinking I'd be walking into some version of high school musical in Canada, but instead I was grappling with like major aspects of my identity and figuring out who I was outside of The cultural influence that surrounded me and what do i want to hang on to
0: yeah and and you know listening to your story previously and 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 now you know thinking about this third culture kids aspect that's something that that seems to come to mind especially for for those who've lived in multiple countries and have now called canada or the us or uk home Uh, these are interesting stories for us to, to learn especially when it comes to our current workplaces and so so, so even with that um, you know these are these are things that we you know that a lot of us, especially myself being a being a born Canadian are not really immersed in, but it's something that that drives our our decision making and should uh, drive our decision making especially from a multicultural perspective so you know so the one thing I want to 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 raise in terms of that is you know what are some, what are some uh, common miscon- uh, misconceptions uh, that equity practitioners and, and global leaders have uh, especially when they' uh, when there's a misunderstanding about uh, about uh, Islam or, or Muslim uh, Muslim people etc-
1: mm-hmm. uh, that's a big question and I'm going to preface it by saying that I can really only speak to my experience and you know some shared experiences with people around me and maybe that's the answer here that Muslims aren't a monolith. We are so diverse in the places that we come from, the languages that we speak, the ways in which we look, in which we present ourselves, and even the ways in which we practice our religion. There's a lot of variation there. So I think people still make the mistake of assuming we're one and the same and we want the same things and we have the same, you know, social, political interests and That's really not the reality. I don't know if it ever was, but it definitely isn't anymore. So I think intersectionality is key here, right? You're Muslim and what else? So you could be Muslim and a woman and have a disability, or you could be Muslim and Latino and be a single dad and so on and so forth. And all of these things will impact your perspective and needs differently. So Um, As an equity practitioner or a leader of any kind, you're trying to figure out how to make something work better for Muslims. I think it always needs to be considered through an intersectional lens because the needs and interests and perspectives of a Muslim that is, for instance, a refugee trying to make a new life here will be very different from a third gen Canadian Muslim that's, you know, living in a whole different world. But on the cover, I think that people mistake people make the mistake of just seeing us all under the big Muslim umbrella. But what is that, right? We need to break that down. Um, And then I think that kind of goes in line with one of the issues we have that like, any anti-Muslim rhetoric is also mixed together with like, anti-immigrant and racist and like, rhetoric that is against certain ethnicities and certain people. It all seems to kind of mixed together. And so when you're trying to address those issues, you also need to see it from that intersectional lens of what else is there to Muslim people. Cuz it's not just it's not just Islamophobia we're dealing with, right? It's Islamophobia and sexism and racism and more and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. And, and that's and that's really important because of the fact that there's there's not only what we're seeing especially like I said at the outset about, you know, all the all the attention towards and all the uh, not even just attention but also the negative stereotypes to the not only the Palestinian people but also to the Muslim community the Islamophobia that exists Um, but Mm -hmm. as well as you know what about internally you know there's there's all this talk about you know the the various internal um, stereotypes if you will and and sexism and etc etc so so uh, can you highlight a little bit um you know whether it's from your experience or your knowledge of of any prominent challenges that you've seen or faced um as someone uh, of of your faith uh in terms of inclusion representation or equity um uh, within those professional sectors or or communities globally um and a second and i guess the second part is you know how do we address address these uh, challenges to drive positive change
1: mhm um, there's, I feel like there's a lot to say here, and I want to start with the basics, because on some level, I think we're still dealing with things that I say are very basic issues that we really should have gotten past a very long time ago, right? Things like flexibility around religious holidays, prayer times, and how those things are still perceived negatively in a lot of professional workplaces, and people are still hesitant to speak up about their needs, because... Other people are gonna view them differently. That's going to affect their opportunities to work with people, to get a raise for promotions, all of that. I think that's still very much a real issue even though I wish we were past that. I feel like we've been talking about it long enough to have moved way past it, but we're not. Um, Let me give you a recent example. Earlier this year, I was invited to an event that was specifically for Arab, Asian, and Latino members of a certain group. It was like an annual lunch that they were doing and believe it or not, it was in the last week of Ramadan. Like, mm. even just an ounce of consideration for the population that this event was supposed to be for, and it was, you know, f- from an equity perspective. So, this isn't a space where there's zero consideration for equity. This is an equity focused group. So, you should really be considering the needs of these people. So, even a tiny bit of consideration for the fact that a lot of Arabs, a lot of Asian people, And a lot of Latino people could be Muslim and would be fasting during this time. And maybe if you'd moved it out by one week, it would have just made them feel more welcome. It would have made us feel included. And it it would have made us feel like this is something for us, not just something they slap a label on and be like, here you go. Come tell us what you need type of thing. So that like it was so disappointing that like it just yeah. I couldn't believe that that was something that was happening and the sad part of it is that it's happening because there's no consideration for intersectionality, right? I went I went online and looked at who was leading this group and who was making these decisions and it was it was diverse in the sense that they weren't white, but they also weren't equitable in their practice. So that's what I mean when I say like basic issues. And I think if you want to change that, you need leaders that actually care about equity and not just holding a title or, you know, adding things to their resume or worried about checking boxes so they can move on to the next leadership opportunity. You need people in leadership positions who actually care about this, who care about the people that they interact with mm-hmm. to make that change. Um, you touched on this earlier as well, but I think when the other biggest challenges that we deal with is the negative press, right? The media still loves villainizing us, even in this day and age, when we've seen the amount of damage that can happen from constantly demonizing a certain group, you know how bad that can get. But it really doesn't seem to stop for Muslims, right? And it can lead to situations where people are afraid to speak up, where in a lot of professional scenarios, for instance, even if people who are Muslim make it the top they're holding high ranking positions they're afraid to claim their faith publicly because they know the things that everyone else is saying about them online and they don't want to be associated with that um and on that note too like in equity spaces in particular i think people still don't give us the benefit of the doubt and i feel like me and literally every other muslim person that's saying this right now Sometimes it feels like I'm talking to an echo chamber because I've said this so much, but Mm -hmm. why is it that as Muslims, we're called upon to condemn acts of violence perpetrated by other so-called Muslims, but nobody else is held to the same standard, right? Mm -hmm. So we're constantly... Being jumped at people, being like, oh, why didn't you condemn this? Why didn't you condemn that? Why didn't you say this was bad? Where, like, one, we did, we've been doing that repeatedly, we always do. So the calls for it are really unnecessary. But two, why is the assumption that we would support any violent activity to begin with? Right? Why is that the inherent assumption that, oh, because this person did not denounce X, Y, and Z, they must be evil or they must have negative views against a certain group of people? And three, why aren't other groups asked the same thing? Because if we want to start talking about that and looking at all the mass shootings that happen in the U.S., for instance, you know, we could be asking a lot of people around here to apologize for that. And that would be happening, what, multiple times a week because we know how bad that situation is. So, um It's just it's one of those things that like we presume we give other people the benefit of the doubt, in particular white people or white passing people. We presume that they are good people. We presume that they are normal people with good morality and good values who obviously don't condone the other thing, the things that other people who look like them are doing. But as Muslims, we're not given that benefit of the doubt, even in professional scenarios.
0: You've uh, you've touched on a couple of points that that I find interesting is, is number one, um, going back to your point about leaders checking the box, et cetera, just to get to that next leadership position. Um, you know, this is why on this on this podcast in my previous season and I'm going to continue in this season is that leaders, especially in multicultural environments such as we do in Canada uh, or even in the US, although it's a melting pot or you know whatever you want to call it. But it's you know, there needs to be an awareness of of, of, of different cultures, and, and having cultural um, cultural intelligence, if you will, as part of their mm-hmm. leadership journeys um, Absolutely. You know, we talk so much about emotional intelligence and all that, which is great in terms of a leadership uh, you know leadership skill and also inclusive leadership. but the one thing I think, especially since we're in such a globalized world, is that we need to fully understand different cultures, different religions, uh, how they interact, the intersectionality of all that and 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 this is something that you know that you basically raised and this is this proves my point in that leaders need to be more aware of cultures instead of being making assumptions uh monoliths etc cetera, etc cetera. so mm-hmm. you know you've you've raised such a great point and and you know this is something that i hope our our listeners and those who are watching take into account in terms of that and secondly Definitely. and secondly your your second point about about how the media perceives um, Muslim people, and and the fact that uh, you know you're always being, they're always being put on the spot and saying, what are you doing to condemn that? And it's funny because just today, as we're talking about this about this um, about our conversation, in that there was a there was a, um, a video that just came out from from uh, from Al Jazeera where they were talking um, where they did a clip about the BBC where a broadcaster was asking someone. Uh, from the Arab world, about are you here to condemn uh, Hamas for what they did? And he kept on saying, you know, yes, we do, yes, we do. And he, they were still kind of badgering this person. So, how is this fair? And how is this, how is this unbiased media uh, coverage of what's going on? Because just as much as there are deaths on on the Israeli side and the Jewish community, there are deaths in 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 in, in the Arab community, and the Palestinian community right and we're not we're not talking about that and so there's that there's that disconnect that people have when we're coming to this and this these are the conversations that we need to have in order for us to be a more inclusive society so absolutely um, right and so these are the things that i i like to i like to raise and point of and i'm glad that you are you are putting that out there especially from a lived experience perspective is that is that you know i don't want to speak for you but for me if i was in this position it would be like it 's tiring, it's tiring to to always having to constantly prove myself control. right because yeah put us as, and not just. Apples.
1: Not just prove yourself, but to prove your humanity. I think that's what it boils down to, and that's the most depressing part of it, is that you realize at the end of the day, a lot of other people don't really see you as being on the same playing field. They don't see you at the same level of humanity as they perceive themselves to be, simply because you look like the other. You're associated with a group that um, they're scared of, that they are not familiar with. And so, you know, they don't bother giving you the benefit of the doubt, even though... It's for just going back to what's happening in Gaza right now, right? That conflict, the the fight that's happening there, didn't start yesterday or this week. It's been going on for 70-plus years. People have been dying there, and we haven't heard a peep from anyone about it, really. So why is it that we call for acknowledgement of the atrocities that are happening against Palestinians? We are immediately yelled at to be like, oh, but what about, like, does this mean that you support, you know, Hamas's actions, or does this mean that you condone the killings of Jewish people? We obviously do not, but why is that the assumption when we're asking for a recognition of Palestinian life and the value that they hold? That's something is, yeah. Um, I want to go back to our point around leadership as well. I think one of the pitfalls of leadership is that people of, like POCs, right, people of color that get into these leadership positions, when they get there, I think they feel like they have to pander to the majority. They have to pander to the system that exists to this like the structures of whiteness around them. And so instead like instead of getting there and thinking about, okay, how do I uplift people of other marginalized backgrounds? How do I support people that have other challenges, it becomes a, how do I make myself seem even better to the people in power so that they give me more power and they share that with me. And it's, I feel like that's one of the most disappointing things to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just that they, they, they lose their, their authenticity, if you will, just because, because they're, you know, because of their, their position, right? Because so they feel comfortable, right? So they don't rock the boat. Um, mm-hmm. You know, years of, rocking the boat boat, per se yes yes. you you become more mature you you know how to navigate navigate the landscape etc but at the same same time time, it's like are you being true to yourself as you move move up up? and yet are you forgetting forgetting the people that helped you in the in um you know previously and are you helping those behind you in terms of navigating those those spaces if you will and Mm -hmm. and yes and i fully agree with you in that respect that that you know, I see it, personally, I'm sure you see it personally, um, you know, in your professional life, etc. So these are things that are definitely something that that people can can learn from. Uh, This is not just a not just the topic that we're talking about. But as a as a whole, this is something that we should, we should definitely, um, you know, take, uh, take some take some respect, take some uh, onus on, if you will, as leaders. And, and so, and I guess, and I guess, or well, maybe we touched upon this a little bit, but um, mm-hmm. but I guess you know the the you know what advice would you would you offer those who are in equity spaces or who are leaders in, in that work, other than what we've just discussed about? Is there anything you want to add that you think they need to be uh, in order to strive for more inclusive environments, especially for the Muslim community um, and other other represented groups on a global scale?
1: I think like the key to it is really understanding intersectionality, right? Nothing is ever straightforward or standalone. Nothing happens in a vacuum. So when you have people with multiple aspects of their identity that affect them in different ways because of the system that we live in, it's important to consider all of those aspects when you are in a position that you're driving equity forward and you're developing equity training, things like that. You can't just be just it can't, you can't just focus on one thing and think that your job is done. Um, I think the other thing is to look at who is missing from the table, who's missing from these conversations and meet those people, find them, meet them where they're at and listen to them because there's gotta be some issue that is holding people back from participating, right? Especially when there are calls for participation, people don't just you know sit back and do nothing because they don't want to. It's likely that they have previously felt that they weren't heard in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And so I think it starts with genuine engagement with people that are excluded, figuring out what their needs are, responding to that, reevaluating and continuing that because it's cyclical, right? This work is never really done. Um, You can't just wrap it up with one initiative or one policy and be like, boom, I'm done. I fixed racism in my workplace. No, it's always evolving. And we're always learning newer and better ways of embedding equity into our work, right? There are things that we were doing five, 10 years ago that are no longer best practice. So you need to keep up with it to figure out um, what the next step is and how to be better at creating a place, a workplace, a society, a culture that is more equitable and that has genuine inclusion.
0: Yeah, definitely, Um, definitely.
1: Yeah, one, one of the other things I was thinking about this too is like, there's a lot of focus from corporations that is around telling other people or telling the market telling consumers that hey we're diverse we love diversity we're equitable we want you know our work our workforce looks super diverse it's all kinds of people in here and i feel like they sometimes focus so much on us on those ad campaigns and showing to the world how diverse they are that the policies they have to make sure that that diversity is in the workplace aren't actually put into practice right and i feel like they need to maybe focus on that a little bit more than just advertising their diversity, for instance. And this is, again, one of those things to me that really is a should be a non-issue at this point, but it's not, but taking time off for Eid, for instance. So for some Muslims, depending on you know what opinion you follow, some of them already know what day Eid is going to be celebrated. Some of us don't. I'm with the people that don't. So it's one of those things for me that like, I can go to my manager and be like, "Okay, I need a couple of days off, but I don't know which exact days these, those are going to be." And so, it's important to have that flexibility around it. And I've 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 heard of instances of friends that haven't been able to take time off because, even though there's a policy that allows them to, their manager will get mad about at them, or they will lose out on work opportunities and things like that. So, it's just like it, to me, it's such a basic thing that still isn't addressed. So. That's the other thing, right? Making sure that you're covering the basics while also advancing education at a higher level.
0: Definitely. And then, you know, the one thing, and I, and I want to even stress this even more is so, you know, as much as I've talked about leaders and equity practitioners, those leaders need to be allies. So, yes. you know, how do how, in your thoughts and in your experience or, you know, what, what people can learn is, you know, how can allies? How can we bring in allies and call them in to to understand um, that we need to be inclusive of of the high holidays of, of, of the uh, Muslim uh, of the Islamic faith, or uh, or, or anything like that? Um, you know, how can you know what are you, what, what are what are your true and tried strategies, if you will, uh, to doing that?
1: Um, I'm sorry, just on the idea of allyship too, I'm remembering a session that I attended back in undergrad where, um, the focus was again on anti-racism and allyship and the presenter was talking about how being an ally is not a title that you give to yourself. It is a title that a particular community can give to you if they feel like you're actually doing something genuine for them and with them and not something that you just claim to be. So you don't, I mean, you can claim to be an ally to whatever causes you want, but the actual practice of that allyship is what makes that true. And that usually comes from the community and at the community level. So in terms of bringing that in, um, sorry, can you repeat your question? I got sidetracked by that train of thought.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. We we were just basically talking about allyship and how, you know, how people can be allies and, and, you know, calling them in to, to be supportive and inclusive of, of the faith, of Muslim people, etc. cetera?
1: Um, I think it starts with education, right? It starts with not assuming things are about Muslim. So when you're in the workplace and you know you have a Muslim coworker, you can approach them if you want to know more. I don't, I don't think I know any person who would be mad if somebody came to them with a genuine question what people would be mad about is if you went to them directly with assumptions of who they are or what they wanted or what they were going to do. So I think it starts with like genuine conversations and engagement on a person to person level. And then outside of that, I think one of the things that people hesitate to do is when there are events or when there are call outs for supporting certain causes, right? For instance, there's an event that is focused on, black people within a certain company, non-black people will feel like, oh, I can't go to this because this is just for them. And it's just like this automatic assumption that because it's focused on black staff members that you can't be present and learn. And I think that's, again, another false assumption to make. Unless an event specifically says that, no, we are, this is for black folks only, we are holding space for them, then yeah, don't enter that space because that's not for you. But if it's an open opportunity to learn, then I think you're responsible to take up that opportunity and actually educate yourself. And that's how you're going to know by entering those equity spaces for different groups. So if there's an event going on for Muslims, that's, let's say, a celebration of Eid, right? Nobody's stopping you from joining that, especially in the workplace. Like you can go in, tell them you're there to learn and learn something i feel like people stop themselves from learning because they're scared to be in spaces where that they don't know about or they're around people that they aren't necessarily comfortable with but you get comfortable by learning Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. so So, you know in closing with this excellent conversation that we've had hamna um i want to have a probably a couple of you know i want to call it like a a rapid fire kind of last little bit of this of this to end this uh question so um, you know, um, what is the one is the thing, thing or unusual thing about you that most people don't know about you?
1: I spent a summer learning how to write in the Elvish language from Lord of the Rings when I was a teenager. I've forgotten it now, but I don't think I've ever told anyone this.
0: Well, now I know you have told me. So, so now I know. Yeah. So, so now it's, it's not like you, you, you applied or anything like that. It's just like you said, you just forgot about it.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Not sure why I learned it in the first place. The practicality of it is non-existent, but I thought it was cool. (laughs)
0: Um, So and and in in light of that, um, you know, and in light of our conversation, what's the one piece of advice or lesson that you've learned throughout your life or throughout your career that you'd want to pass on to others?
1: I think Um, it's to listen to understand rather than listening to respond. And this is something that I consistently remind myself of even now because that's how you learn. That's how you improve your interactions with other people, especially people that you don't know about, people that you might might hold certain negative misconceptions about, people that you hesitate to engage with. You listen to understand, not to respond. And I think that leads to a lot of open-mindedness as a result. And I think being open-minded is one of the absolute best things you can be
0: and definitely definitely and so my final question to you is and uh, this is just more kind of a loose question here is you know what's the one book that has greatly influenced you personally or professionally and why would you recommend it
1: um this is actually a book that i picked up this week to reread i read it a long time ago Uh, freedom is a constant struggle by angela davis i've talked a lot about intersectionality today and um, this book is basically a collection of like speeches, essays and interviews with Angela Davis and many parts of it really drive home the point of intersectionality and how anti-oppression struggles around the world are linked and what it like it really helps you figure out that allyship piece right how you can be an ally to other causes that are outside of your immediate sphere and outside of your immediate identity. And why, why you should be an ally for them. She makes a really strong case for if you care about anti-black racism, then you should care about X, Y, Z. If you care about prison abolition, that is inherently tied to Palestinian freedom. And it's it's a really, really interesting book. Um, Very eye opening. I've learned a lot and I'm going back to it to learn more.
0: That was uh, that was very enlightening, um, especially given all that's going on in the world and what we need, what we can learn, and what definitely people can learn from you in this conversation. So, uh, with that, I bid uh, I bid the audience adieu. Um, thank you very much, Hamna, for this enlightening conversation. Much, I really, really appreciate and getting to know getting to know you a little bit better um, as we as we move forward. And so, uh, you know, one last thing is, how can people reach you?
1: I used to have open social media channels. I do not anymore. So um, email. We're, we're doing it old-fashioned. It's email. Tell Andre you'd like to reach out, and he'll connect us over email.
0: Okay, great. All right, thanks a lot, right, to, uh, thanks everyone, a lot for, listening. for listening. And uh, once again, thank you, Hamna, for being my, my uh, esteemed guest in this conversation. Thank so you so much then, for having me. Then. Thanks a lot, Hamna. A lot. All right, take care, everyone. Take care, everyone.